Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited for this historic episode of Tigress, the podcast, where I have my first guest ever. Um, We are in studio in Times Square. And guess who's joining me? Amea! Amea Okamoto, my fabulous sister, um, who is currently in art school in Chicago, um, her first year there. And yeah, she's visiting me for the next couple weeks. Um, Amea, welcome to Tigress. Thank you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Uh, just got off a plane, a little unexpected, but glad to be a part of this historic moment for Tigris. And are you feeling nervous? A little bit. Why? You're like the most unfiltered. I am the most extroverted Okamoto. You are. Fun I fact. claim that. I fully claim that. Uh, no, it's been a while since I've been doing interviews and stuff. I mean, it's even kind of weird that I can say that, but yeah, I feel like I haven't been in front of a camera in a while. And do I make you nervous? Yeah, really. I mean, my whole life, my, I mean, we could talk about so much more, but my whole life has been so much being, you know, Nadia's sister or being the younger sister because I'm only two years younger than you. Mm-hmm. So, so much of our lives, I feel like we've definitely had a lot of comparison, whether that's in the world, in school, in families or whatever. So it's been huge the past five years to really like come into my own and like start having my own like I really don't want to use the word branding. No, you can say brand. <laughs> but like kind of having Everybody's a personal yeah, brand, like, you know? That's so Gen Z disgusting. Yeah, like having my own brand or um, a lot of big moments. Like I remember when we went to LA in 2019. Maybe. I did this workshop and like in LA and we were both flown out for like a separate, like for this one event and I didn't realize that we were both invited for the longest time. And then you were like, oh, I'm going to LA this weekend. And I was like, oh, me too. And we got there. Nobody knew we were sisters for the longest time. And that was like super weird at 19 years old for the first time to be like, holy shit, like that's a Maya's sister. Like you're not in my shadow. <laughs> yeah, or I'm not in your domain, you know, like yeah. or realizing I can have my own domain in the world um, was really weird because I think we grew up our whole lives being so just like compared. entwined, and not even compared, just like so entwined with each other's lives. Very trauma like, bonded. 
Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> what it is. I mean, I feel like, I mean, you know, we've kind of alluded to this on social media um, when people ask us like, oh, you guys seem like your best friends, which we are. But it's also kind of new in many ways. I'm your best friend. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm not her best friend. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She's I'm kidding. my best friend. I'm kidding. But you know, I think people look at our family and they're like, "You're so happy. It's so." There's wonderful. a lot of like goals. Y'all are my yeah. favorite sisters. Can I? When people are like, "Can I be the fourth sister?" I'm like. I don't know if you want to be. You got to earn that. And that is that is a yeah. lot of shit you have to go through to earn that. But I feel like there's also this kind of dark side of our history, which yeah. is that a man and I didn't talk for years. Really. No. And um, I think that there was a lot of resentment and a lot of, you know, our childhood trauma and history of being, yeah, compared to each other. And I mean, I think whenever people hear that, they're like, oh, my gosh, that's so sad. But... I do feel like, to what you were saying before, it, I kind of look at it and I was like, it was really sad, but it kind of felt like the what we needed, you know? It was mm -hmm. like what I think I needed to like understand needed who to you were. Be, to have to our strong talk? relation, you know, to have our strong relationship now, I feel like you needed that time where like I was not there, right? Absolutely. And like you could find your voice and your personal brand or whatever you we call it. <laughs> um, and I feel like in many ways too, I feel like I had to, unlearn a lot of the like borderline and toxic traits of uh, being like yeah. a big sister of being like these are my sisters because I think that was a lot of my trauma was being like you know I'm a big sister I'm defined by that and anything that happens to me or my sisters is on me and it made me very controlling and I think yeah. a big personality in that and I think I, that was a lot of what I feel like I had to unlearn and it really has been only what, like, I think the last year. I mean, we could go into a whole discussion on the borderline and how that affected yeah. our relationship. Well, I want to hear about it. Yeah, like, I think let's you, be open I about think it. you tapped in. I mean, how open? <laughs> but I think we've tapped into two things is like the one thing is that I needed to individuate. And I think that that is not unique to me. That's not unique to our relationship. I think it's pretty standard for a lot of people in, you know, trauma bonded relationships or especially middle children, especially when you're close in age to an older oldest sibling you need time to individuate and for me that meant going on on on, a, on my own and yeah. taking a big leap of faith and taking a fucking gap year um after high school and just like I you know not going to the same college or I refused to apply to Harvard like yeah. I refused to apply to Harvard because I was like my whole life I took the same classes as you I did everything I could you know and it was exhausting you know it's it trying to be Nadia Komodo is exhausting Trying to be a memory is really fun. <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. it's exhausting. So there's the individuation thing that, you know, needs to happen for any kid, but I think especially middle children. But and then there's the borderline thing, which, you know, put a really big, bo you know, border between us for the longest time because, um, you know, these are things that I had a lot of anger and a lot of honest, honest hatred towards you that was mired with a lot of jealousy um, and distrust and frustration and just a lot of hurt, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, um, from being, I think, the target of a lot of your borderline tendencies. Yeah. And these are things that I was so frustrated, angry, and upset about until you got that diagnosis and until I, you know, went out on my own and started just buying audible books about BPD and during that it was kind of the year fallout 
um, me and you didn't, I think Nadia, you graduated in 2016. In high school, yeah. We barely talked in high school, even though I took all the same classes as you. Um, Yeah, oh my God, so much. I I could go on so many tangents right now from that. And then after you graduated, we did not talk. 2017, 2018, I graduated in 2018. We kind of talked in 2019, then 2020. I honestly think it was like seven years because... It was a long um, time. And, you know, I I, I actually, like, I really... I think it's I'm really proud of us for sitting here and having this conversation because I think that even for me, knowing I have borderline, I have so much guilt about like the hurt I caused other people and it makes me angry at myself. But then I kind of then channel that anger back out, you know, and I think it makes me kind of a mean person. And I think, you know, borderline personality disorder is something I was diagnosed with, you know, uh, a year and a half ago, basically. Mm -hmm. So which kind of marks coincides with when you and I started talking again. Yeah. And I think that borderline has this reputation of being the diagnosis where you can't hold relationships healthily with the people around you. And it makes you like a toxic kind of rough person to be around and a really hard person to have stable relationships with. And I think that for me, like, when I got diagnosed, the narrative was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This is awful. But I think in many ways and actually really highlighted by our relationship, having that diagnosis was everything because it kind of put into perspective, like, why am I the way that I am? But it also gave us both vocabulary to be like, okay, that self-hatred that I have, right, is very much something that consumed me. And I think you were also going through so much on your own. Um, And, you know, we don't have to go too deep into this too, but I feel like you know, for us, it was very much the, for, you know, the first decade of our relationship after you were born, right? And, you know, toddler to age 13, um, we were super close, right? But it was very much a relationship of like, I am your big sister, right? Mm -hmm. And I am to protect you. And I am supposed to set an (laughs) example for you, right? And whether or not I did protect you well, was like, I think we had a common enemy of like the the chaos in the house or the chaos around us or protecting Isa, protecting Isa, protecting our little sister and protecting mom. Yeah. But I think that what really kind of broke us was when I started experiencing more trauma with dad and with dating my first like relationships with scary men. Um, and then you were partially hospitalized. This is that's okay. Before we go there, it's interesting though. It's somebody during the whole I'm going to use the word like this word lightly, but the fallout of your diagnosis was a lot of clarity for me. And I think that was more clarity for you, obviously having an explanation for why you are the way you are. But I also mirrored a lot of your confusion, right? If I showed you love and I didn't get it in return, or if I showed you attention, I didn't get it in return. If I went out of my way to like try to bond with you and, you know, the ADHD thing too was huge. Um, I had a therapist tell me like trauma and BPD and all these things, they can be explanations. That doesn't mean that they're an excuse, right? Your trauma Mm -hmm. is never an excuse, but it can be a major explanation. But for me, that explanation led to also me getting to a point where I'm open to forgiveness. And I'm open to forgiving you for a lot of, you know, the things that happened between us or the silence that also occurred that was extremely confusing for me. Um, and I feel like was one of the most harmful things. Probably, yeah, definitely the most harmful. And, you know, even the situation with our biological father, right? I felt very alone in a lot of what we went through for a really long time. And um, I didn't have any, anyone to talk to. And there were many years where, you know, I think 
you went and dove into your own relationships. And then it was just me and Issa kind of figuring yeah. it out. And that also was really confusing um, for me. And I definitely had a lot of anger that I never processed and I never got to talk to you about because you yeah. never felt open to talking about it. And after... Well, yeah, I think I had that like adolescent period of anything that was mentioned about yeah. trauma. I was but like, we're where, not talking about that's this. That's where BPD comes in is yeah. listening to books about it and realizing that, you know, untreated, undiagnosed, unmedicated BPD, the way that it, I mean, you can talk about this more, yeah. but the way that it expresses is a lot of, you know, diving into other relationships and prioritizing romantic relationships over any other relationships. Yeah. Um, and getting carried away with things uh, when you're not aware of your tendencies. Yeah, it's a very obsessive diagnosis. I also think that it's a very black and white diagnosis, right? Which is, again, to me, I don't bring it up as an excuse, but I do think it helps explain a lot of, to be conscious of, right? Like I think that for me and you, because you were such a close relationship of mine, it was very black and white. It was like, we were either best friends all the time yeah. or it was like, we're not talking, right? And yeah. I think that- But that's also a dynamic constructed by our family. Yeah, we have that in our family. There's a lot of being disowned in our family. Yeah. Um, or you're 100% or you're not 100%. Yeah. And I think for, for me, because we went through so many periods of, you know, being the only person who I trust and the only person yeah. I had through so much shit, um, to also being the person that I couldn't even look at for years. You know, it was flipping, flip-flopping between those yeah. two. And we're still working through it. Yeah, like, it's really weird yeah. to be able to text you on a 2 p.m. In, on a Thursday and get a response and be like, oh, like I have a sister. I yeah. forgot, you know? Well, and I think that also, like, I think to what you're, I think it was a very much a two-way street, too, where I was like, you obviously had so much of that hurt. And I think also, like, the big sister dynamic of I graduated and fucking left. Yeah. I did not look back for a Dip while. The fuck out. I dipped. I was like, my mom and I were not getting along. And I was like, yeah. I am fucking leaving and I'm not coming back. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save money on your insurance? Of course you would. After all, who wouldn't love a great deal, right? And when it comes to great rates on insurance for all of the things in your life, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners, condo, or renters coverage. You could save even more with a special discount when you bundle your coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use GEICO mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And choosing to switch to GEICO becomes an easy choice. Switch to and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save. This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. I think most of us agree that in a functioning democracy, the winner should be determined by the voters. Well, that almost didn't happen in 2020. Now, extremists are working to intimidate and replace nonpartisan election workers with quote-unquote yes-men who might reject election results. The only thing that will stop them is us. We partnered with the grassroots pro-democracy organization, Represent Us, to give you the tools you need to protect free and fair elections. Learn more and get involved. Visit represent.us pod to learn more. And I think the things you you and Issa were the people that I left behind. Yeah. Which is really sad. And I think that it was um, also a I think the year that you left was chaos. Chaos and traumatic for not only our family 
and a lot of our mental health, my mental health, but also the world, right? Like that's like Trump election. That's Trump election, yeah. Well, and also to put things in perspective, it was like one year where, yeah, Trump was elected, but in our own family, like we, everything, our dad, like hit the child protective services. Week. One yeah. week. Yeah. Child protective services stepped in. Amea was partially hospitalized for an eating disorder. Yep. I was, you know, about to be pulled out of school for PTSD. And then you got into Harvard early. I got into Harvard all early. Within a week. <laughs> like all within a week. Yeah. And it was crazy. And yeah, I mean, I feel like, okay, so one thing I really wanted to kind of talk about with you too is this like individual, like finding your individual voice and also learning not to compete because. I think that's something that I think about a lot in the context of even like the feminist movement, but also even as a case study, our family is this idea of like women supporting women and celebrating each other's successes. And I think that while our family is still working on this and like we're really good at supporting each other and being like, you go do you, you go do this. I do think that there was this weird competitive dynamic that both of our parents unintentionally fostered, which is like we can each only be one thing and we each own something that others yeah. cannot own right and Whether that was a label identity favorite color like yeah. we you're, or- you're we orange used to get or, into yeah. these huge fights where I was like my favorite color is purple and a man was like mine is orange and there Issa are moments now when I you are a polar bear I'm a penguin Isa is a rabbit or a cow yeah you know like there were weird things where we could each only be one thing and there was you are beautiful you are sexy yeah. you're smart you're yeah you're smart yeah I was hot and beautiful I was be- I was no I was hot and gorgeous for- beautiful you were beautiful and cute yeah. and smart which is why yeah. I overcompensated on being trying to be as nerdy as possible mm-hmm. and Issa was like funny you know yeah. and I think that you know I remember having like an absolute breakdown once when which I was all playing- very still attached to these labels we are very <laughs> attached to it like I was playing piano and I really wanted to play guitar but then I was told I couldn't play guitar because you were playing guitar yeah and I had this You're whole breakdown well, yeah, and there's these labels, but I think also yeah. even now, like Nadia's the neurotic entrepreneur, Amea's the artist, and Isa's the singer. Like these are things that I think my our mom lovingly but unintentionally kind of puts us into buckets of. But as young kids, I think it really fostered this kind of competition, right? Which is you can succeed in something, but you can't succeed in the thing that I'm succeeding in. And I think that that's something to be honest that I really felt like was an unhealthy dynamic that led to a lot of tension and I think it's also something that I've been thinking about in the context of like larger circles of women and feminist movements because I see that a lot with other female friends right which is like you can go do you but only if you're succeeding in things that I don't really give a shit about but like I'm gonna be the top of my game in my game and that's honestly one of the hardest things that I've had to work through in order to get to a healthier dynamic of working with women I'm thinking maybe I am still working through it now because I think it's still a double-edged sword where those were 100% harmful labels but what that translated to is I think something that a lot of Asian or immigrant you know kids go through is like okay you can go do this that I don't want you to do but if you do it you have to do it really freaking well um and that pushed us to do really really well in a lot of you know the one thing that we were pushing towards if that makes sense no so, it does I mean I, dub- double-edged sword because as much as I look back and my mostly white ex-boyfriends are like <laughs> this is your family's toxic like all my all boyfriends that, are like your, your family's toxic. wild like <laughs> but <laughs> you are I all mean, abused like I it's think, like yeah but but look at where we got and yeah. and it's hard to be mad at 
my mom and when therapists have suggested to me that, you know, I need to go work through my childhood trauma of being pigeonholed and um, being forced to perform really well, I'm like, okay, but let's step back and remember where we were at the times of where my mom, our mom was like, you have to go do this really well and you have to go win these competitions or whatnot. It's like, well, that's because she was had a lot of fear, which again, very immigrant fear, right? About making money or how do you build a name for yourself when you are one of the handful of POCs at your majority white school in the whitest major city in America, right? Like how do you make a name for yourself if you're not going all the way? it's, it's no, I, 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 I totally agree. But I, th- I think I'm not saying it's not valid. I'm saying I think it was the pressure to not just succeed, but to exceed and be exceptional yeah. was so, so intense. And yeah. it made like, us, I, I wish it was presented as an option and not, and not like and a, not a necessity. But it wasn't even like necessity. if you like it, you could go all the way or you can dabble with a bunch of different things. Like, no, it was very much. Was, yeah. I think to encapsulate it really was like, I think growing up with um, the environment that we grew up in, it was very much like, um, if you're going to be passionate about something and you're going to, that's what you're going to do at age 16, you have to tell me your strategic plan of where you're going to end up to be number one in that area. I wish that Issa was here to talk about this actually, because she has, me and her were talking about this a little bit ago. And um, I was, you know, being like, I hate the way we grew up. Like, why yeah. didn't we have freedom? Blah, blah, blah. So much expectation. And Issa was like, Amea, we're Asian. <laughs> and I was like, so? And she was like, you know, Amea, like, let's. <laughs> My little sister lecturing me about the model minority myth, right? Yeah. Like, when you are Asian and you have these high expectations of performance pressed on you. And it's like math. Like, I knew I wasn't, like, great at math. But I worked my ass off to like get to the highest math level, even though I didn't give a shit because if I didn't perform at that high level, which is already the expectation, then I was a disappointment. But you have to you have anything below exceptional because you're already put at that expectation is like expected and boring. So you have to perform even higher. Right. Well, like yeah, but that, if that's, you're good at piano, we yeah. already expected you to be good at piano. So like you better win that freaking concert. But I think that that's where the anxiety comes from, which is like and I think similarly, like my best friends who are, you know, my best friends from high school who are white because we went to a white high school. <laughs> a lot of their reaction is like, why can't you just chill? And like, why can't yeah. you just recognize that what you've done is enough? And my thing is like, that's just not the way I was raised to think. I was raised to think. I'm here, but I don't care where I'm now because what I'm really striving for is this 10x, you know? And I think it's like, that's honestly a behavior that I've had to really unlearn because I think it's it's really unhealthy in the way that you end up living this life where you're constantly disappointed in yourself and you're constantly yeah. like, why am I not where I could have been, you know? And I yeah. think that's something that I really had to dismantle. And I honestly think that that's something that's really helped my um, how I am as a big sister, right? Because I yeah. think that there was a period of time where it wasn't just mom being the tiger mom, it was me. And I was very much a tiger mom around grades with yeah. you and Issa. Um, or else. Yeah, and I was, and a lot of that <laughs> was like me or else. Mom was very much like, I think she was like, I'm not going to be a tiger mom that, about that. I'm going to be a tiger mom about art. And so Nadia stepped in and was like, let's do math homework, you know, at least with Issa more so. And yeah, I, think, I don't remember that. Yeah. And I think that for me, like that kind of obsession with exceptionalism is something yeah. that I really had to unlearn. 
And I, I, I agree that in many ways it's cultural, but I also think that it's something that like, I was so unhappy until I think I really started thinking through, I can just be in the present moment and be okay. And it's not gonna forfeit my ambition. You yeah. know, I'm just, it can just, I can just be. And like, we can be friends and it doesn't have to be about our career in the moment. We can yeah. be friends. And I think that's something I really had to think through. It's interesting, like when you're talking about, oh, I have to do this, I have to succeed at this. It's like, like, well, why? Like, according to who? Like, are you, because I feel like whenever I am worried I'm not measuring up to something, I'm comparing to the people around me. And I'm also worried about upsetting our mother. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can let go of those two things, then you're like chilling. Yeah. But the the coded the coded motivations there are being better than your peers and being terrified of our mother. <laughs> yeah, which in, I think in many ways is like, is a cultural thing. Like I think it's something a lot of other Asian American people can um, relate to is that growing up with pretty intense discipline and expectations. Even when they tell you they're not tiger mothers. Yeah, our mom swears that she's not a tiger mom. Like but swears. She, she, swears she swears she's not a tiger mom, yeah. but it's because she is not a stereotypical tiger mom in the way that her mom was. But she's a tiger mom in the sense. You better win this competition, man. She is not. She's not a tiger mom when it comes to grades, like straight A's. Yeah. She is kind of, she's more of a tiger mom around like career, like intact, like who yeah. you are. I think right? it was more intense when we were, let's like, we'll roll it back. I think it was, it was more intense when she knew that we were like the ones that were going to like pull ourselves out of our situation. Yeah. Um, and I think in many ways, yeah. like I used to. Like she couldn't my... support us financially. And what, she, so what she could do was like force us to go financially support ourselves, which I think is more important for you and me when we were younger. Um, because she wasn't making money. No. At that so time. like I started babysitting when I was like 12, 13. I, I, we had an allowance for like half a year at one point or some shit. And then otherwise like, like I have genuine confusion every time. We have allowance and then we had to give it back. Genuine. Gen <laughs> we, we would get an allowance and then at the end of the month it'd be like, um, so you know that allowance. I need, I need to go buy groceries. <laughs> I, I need to go get groceries now. <laughs> I, I have genuine confusion when Isa is like goes shopping with mom yeah. or or like literally, I mean not to like work I, we're, I'm getting in so much trouble for bringing this up on the podcast. Cause I we I do get a little spoiled sometimes, but it's like you go shopping and then mom will like buy Isa's shirt and then you're like holding a shirt you want and you're like, hey, let me pull out my credit card. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll go I think for, <laughs> for context, our mom is like doing well now. So well. She's so doing well. So well. But yeah. when a man I were in high school, that was not the case. Like, no. you know, and we were talking a lot about this on social media. We were making all this content around like, we have Christmas presents and yeah. mom got us like kind of some, <laughs> we something we really wanted. Presents. And like, that's a huge step because I think for a lot of our Christmases, it was like mom went to the dollar store and got us a ruler and some mechanical pencils, not usually lead for the mechanical yeah. pencils because those are too expensive. Oh my God, a Kumon book. Yeah, Kumon, like uh, workbooks, because they were an educational investment. Yeah. Um, and you got like a science kit if it was a really special year. Yeah, but those were so cool. Like I yeah. was those, you know, where you like make the little jelly crystals. And every time you touch it, mom would be like, that's a really big treat. That's a really big <laughs> or, she, or she'd be like, so you're going to go into med? You're going to become a scientist? You're going to become a med <laughs> med medicine yeah. person. I mean, I think there's so much that we could talk about now, but I think that like I wanted to just have like a little check-in. And I think that 
I also want to say I'm really proud of you. And I think you've become such an incredible like light in my life and also so many other people's lives. And I think, again, like I mourn a lot of the time that we lost, but I also yeah, think that absolutely. it was necessary time because you've blossomed into this incredible artist yeah. and woman and friend. And while I might not be your best friend, I am, you, you are, are my you, best friend. You're my best friend, don't worry. Don't worry, you're my best friend, don't worry. But, uh, but yeah, I love you very much and I'm very proud of you. Thank you. And for all of y'all. No, equally. Back at, right, right back at you. Right back at <laughs> for you. For everyone listening, um, you're listening to another episode of Tigress. We are back every single Wednesday, uh, usually recording at the DCP studios in New York City. Huge thank you to my team. And my sisters are actually visiting for the next couple of weeks, so you might hear quite a bit more from them. Bye, y'all. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.